if you're in first service this morning, you saw the video at the end with um, um, Pierce McKay. And if you ever doubt about the future of the church, uh, let me tell you a quick story. I was, uh, as I mentioned last time, several years worked with the OCYG high school and then middle school. And for seven years, I went to the fall retreat. And uh, it was always a great time in the fall to go with the youth. And one year, I remember uh, it was when Pierce's group, they were all Jake, all those were in the ninth grade. And we got in late and we were setting up in the main area and we had released the, the boys out to the cabins. The girls had a, a couple of rooms that they stayed in in a lodge area back behind. So we released them into the cabin. And part of my responsibility was to make sure that that got sorted out okay. And so I was a bit nervous about it. Ninth grade boys understood Pierce's situation. And so I went there to see that everything got taken care of. And when I, when I approached, there was kind of a commotion going on. There were two cabins, and so they were going to have to split up. And there was an argument going on, and the argument was about which cabin got to have Pierce in it. And eventually, uh, I think it was Jake's cabin, won over, and uh, Pierce got to stay with them. And it was just a moment. I remember walking across the lawn at night and just that moment of stop and listening to that part of God just work out. Uh, in such a beautiful, beautiful way. Um, and that whole group has been like that, their whole journey through, through the OCYG. Um, I couldn't just help but think of that moment. Um, uh, and it is a tough time for transition out of high school because natural groups and, and communities start to fray after high school. And so um, if you saw the video this morning, I'd certainly say a prayer uh, for that situation and help out if you can. Uh, I hope everybody's prepared tomorrow for uh, the impending doom of the moon getting in front of the sun. Um, I uh, had a picture I took this morning that I was going to uh, share. It's going to be very. It's going to be kind of hard to see. You can see it later, but if you look, uh, there's a street sign has a stop sign behind it. The street is the corner of Solar Court and Eclipse Drive, and so it says Solar Eclipse. And that house in the background is mine. So we, we live at the corner of solar and eclipse. And so our neighbors were having a discussion. Can we find somebody that's going to be at our house to take a picture of the solar eclipse with the street sign solar eclipse in the background? And then we figured out by going on the maps and sorting it out that we, only, we live down in Rutherford County. We only get eight seconds of totality. And so as cool as that picture was, uh, we decided that we're going to go a little further into the totality so we can get about a minute and 40 seconds and not eight seconds for a photo. Or as Clay, my junior graphic design major, said, I can Photoshop it in later, so don't worry about <laughs> Don't worry about that. So I hope you all have fun and be safe. It looks a little nutty um, tomorrow. Um, also, if you would pray for Rick Belcher, he's a doctor, uh, goes to Otter Creek here. He is a Vanderbilt ER doctor, and his shift starts at 3 o'clock tomorrow. I asked him last week, so I said, I said full moons are kind of nutty. What about solar eclipses? And he just looked at me like, I have no idea what we're going to expect at Vanderbilt. So pray for safety. It's a cool thing, but still, safety. Uh, we'll hope, just, we'll, okay. Just the whole world's going to go nuts tomorrow for a couple of hours, and then and then we'll all be back to normal after that, hopefully. The Franklin, uh, the Vanderbilt Walking Clinic has glasses that they're handing away. Okay. Franklin, so. If you still if you still have glasses, yeah, good luck with that. 
But Vanderbilt Clinic has still some. Yeah, the, the one right, right there by Whole Foods in the community. Okay. But, you know, I, I, when I was in first grade growing up in Blue Springs, Missouri, which is outside of Kansas City, it was, I was growing up in first grade, there was a partial eclipse. And I remember as a first grader going outside with our little pieces of paper, poking pinholes in it and watching, you know, the moon do a funny thing. And uh, so it's a cool moment. It's, uh, it'll be fun. Last time we were together, we talked about justice and justice and righteousness uh, within Deuteronomy and then looked at various ways that justice uh, wove through uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 16 uh, and then 19 and then 20. And then last week, Ben walked us through several chapters where we start to illustrate how God cares about life, uh, particularly within the different laws uh, that are listed off. I think, Ben, you said 43 uh, laws, which we did not go to each one of those in detail, but the general theme that we saw moving through that God cares about life. Um, and we worked through that. Uh, today, we are going to start diving into the end of the second sermon, if you will, that Moses is giving in Deuteronomy and the forming of the covenant. Uh, a couple of things to keep in mind as we get started. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the mindset we bring into Deuteronomy is important. Uh, our mindset within Western culture is individual, my individual relationship with God. The mindset in Deuteronomy and for most of human history is community. It's our community relationship with God. And so particularly as we get into covenant and we get into blessings and curses, keep in mind that these are communal. These are community, not individual uh, within the context of Deuteronomy. Uh, and the second thing that we want to keep in mind is that it's kingdom versus nation. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kingdom of God. It's kingdom language, not just national uh, language. Uh, so if we go into, we have, uh, we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 26 at the very end, verse 16. Um, I'll read this one, but if you'll notice, I wrote several passages up on the dry erase board over here. If you have an interest in doing some reading this morning out loud, uh, you can, if you would, kind of gather one in your mind that you would read. That would help us move along uh, through the day. So uh, chapter 26, verse 16 through the end of the chapter. This very day, the Lord your God is commanding you to observe these statutes and ordinances. So, so observe them diligently with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have obtained the Lord's agreement to be your God and for you to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, commandments, and ordinances, and to obey him. Today the Lord has obtained your agreement to be his treasured people, as he promised you, and to keep his commandments for him to set you high above all nations that he has made in praise and in fame and in honor, and for you to be a people holy to the Lord your God as he uh, promised. It's covenant language. We got a, uh, Sarah and I got a package in the mail a couple months ago. It was a DVD, and it was a DVD of our wedding video. And we got married on January 1st, 1994. And at that time, camcorders were, um, you know, archaic. Um, and wedding videoers were expensive. And so we had gotten a, a little camcorder and asked uh, one of the um, elderly uh, men in the congregation. Uh, he really was an elder, but that church was, didn't have, anyway, we'll go there. Anyway, he, he was an elderly person in the congregation, and Mr. Palmer was going to video our wedding. And so Mr. Palmer had a little camcorder, and it was very rough footage. Um, and when his children were cleaning out uh, the Palmer's house, they found that, converted it to a DVD. And so a few months back, we got to watch it. And for our daughters particularly, our older daughter Clay, and for Kobe, they got to see our wedding. And so once you got over the 
gee, you look so young, and granddaddy looks really young, and <laughs> introducing them to family members that had passed. It was neat to get that moment of covenant, that moment of vows to Sarah and I, and to be reminded of that. And I think that with you, when you read through this covenant language within Deuteronomy, there's a lot of things that talk about reminding, and it's so important, I think, to remember. It just refreshes our commitments, refreshes our hearts, to have moments where we can remember uh, those things. It occurred to me as I was thinking about this story and thinking about this passage that uh, uh, Jeff and Norma Jean Palmer, uh, they, uh, that January 1st was their anniversary. And so on their anniversary, Sarah and I were getting married. And they had been married for, I mean, to my 20-year-old self, probably was like 150 years. I mean, they've been married forever. And it was, it was their anniversary. And we kind, of, we kind of joked at the time, but I, now I understand later. Um, Jeff did a fantastic job filming the, the, the wedding from where we were. And then we did the reception downstairs. Uh, in the church building, little Parker, Colorado church, beautiful church building, uh, downstairs, and we're doing the reception, and we started calling it the Norma Jean video because whenever Jeff couldn't really think of where to film, he would follow Norma Jean around. <laughs> and so our reception is a lot of footage of Norma Jean Palmer. And it was just so sweet, you know, to think uh, late 60s, 70s, I'm not sure how old they were at the time, but even though it was on their anniversary, uh, he was still, in his moments of what to do now, just would follow, just gaze at her as she was going through our reception. It was a cool, it was a cool moment. And it made me think about the language here in 26. You'll notice the present tense language. This very day, today the Lord has said, today you have said three times in that short passage, today. And so the concept within the covenant is that it's ever present. It's always today. You know, even though it took us 20 years to rewatch that video, and it's always today is the covenant between God and his, his people. And so that's an ever-present, ever-new thought as we think about the importance of covenant. Um, Randall and I were chatting right before uh, class started about God takes his promises very, very seriously. And there's a lot of covenant language as you go through the Bible clearly. In fact, I was sitting there thinking um, and doing some quick research over the weekend, you know, why is it called the New Testament and why is it called the Old Testament? And why, why is our Bible divided into testaments? And I used to think it was because of testimony or it was a witness, if you will. Maybe that's part of it. Uh, but part of the reason is Jerome, when he did his Latin translation of the Vulgate, in certain passages, particularly within Hebrew, translated the Latin into a word that means that, that we translate as testament, but the word's really covenant. And so when you think about even the way the Bible is called, it really is, it is a New and Old Testament, but it's really Old and New, co it's covenant. That's the word, it's covenant that God has with his people all the way through uh, recorded history. And so I wrote uh, several passages um, up on here that have to do uh, with, that have to do with covenants. Uh, before we go there, let's read Deuteronomy 27, 1 through 8. Did anybody get in their heart that I'll read Deuteronomy 27, 1 through 8? In fact, I've been waiting to read Deuteronomy 27, 1 through. It's Brian. Thank you. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, Keep all these commands that I give you today. When you have crossed the Jordan into the land the Lord your God has given you, set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write on them the all the words of this law when you have crossed over to enter the land your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you. A land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. 
And when you have crossed the Jordan, set up these stones on Mount Ebal, as I command you today, and coat them with plaster. Build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Do not use any iron tool on them. Build the altar of the Lord your God with field stones and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Sacrifice fellowship offerings there, eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God. And you shall write very clearly all the words of this law on these stones you have set up. Just a couple things. Standing stones, which is a concept within ancient literature, the idea of creating monuments, something to look at, to see, to remind ourselves of the covenant that today is, in fact, the day that God has a covenant with us each day that we look at that particular stone. Um, I wrote up there Joshua 8, 30 through 35. If you want to read through that later, that's where uh, it's recorded in Joshua where they did this act, where they set up the stones, covered them with plaster, and went through uh, the ceremony. And uh, you know, being born in Kansas City, I love the fact that most of Deuteronomy is just one big long barbecue. Uh, I just, I, it's just, just let's let's kill something, and let's eat it. So uh, it happens again and again, and rejoice while we do so. Um, so I do love that as we go through. And so God is saying it's not just that today is the covenant, but we need to be reminded again and again of that covenant. So it makes you think of covenantal again language. If you go back to uh, back early into Genesis, one of the first covenants is the Noah covenant. Right, and so uh, you're familiar with the story, uh, destruction, water, God makes a covenant with, with all of the earth at that time saying, I'm not gonna do that, the sign of which is a, thank you, this is like, you know, Sunday school, planogram stuff. All right, so uh, makes a sign with the rainbow. Um, from there, uh, we have a covenant with Abraham, uh, chapter 15 of Genesis 5 through 18. Would someone please read that Abrahamic covenant. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? The Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abraham presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat, to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, for they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaved them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. The sins of the Amorites will do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to you, to your descendants, all the way from the border of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land now occupied by the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaeites, the Amorites, Canaanites, Burgessites, and Jebusites. 
So what we're seeing is is the is the covenant between Abraham and God or God and Abraham. It's a blood covenant, which means for nomadic people, what they would do is 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 described in the passage. They would cut animals in half, and then the blood would drain into into the middle. So the way that you knew you were in covenant with that person is that both parties of the covenant would walk through uh, the path of blood and would get blood on the hem of their of their garments. So if there was ever any question about the blood covenant, you could see the garments, you could see the blood on it. We have a covenant with each other. Earlier, I think in Deuteronomy, that sometimes they would swap shoes, right? So it was a way to say that this is a covenant that we have. Very important to note, who walks through the blood path there? Just God. Abraham never walked through it, which would mean that if either party broke the covenant, the splitting of the animals, the splitting of the the blood, all that would happen to whoever broke the covenant. God was the only one that walked through. So if either party didn't fulfill the covenant, the person who would be punished for it was God, not Abraham, which is important. Um, if you go to uh, Jeremiah, now we've got the covenant in 27 through 28. If you go to Jeremiah 31, 34, um, if someone would read that um, as well. We're going to kind of skip through different passages on covenants as we tie some of this together. So Jeremiah is a prophet. He's speaking uh, during the time of the uh, exile, before pre-exile, but right at. Um, uh, as Egypt comes in, Jeremiah ends up down in Egypt right before Babylon comes in and destroys the temple. And so Jeremiah is talking through that book about the covenant and talking about how they've broken the covenant uh, between uh, Israel and God, this covenant that we're seeing set up here. Uh, in Deuteronomy, and so Jeremiah is saying that God will come back and make this right. It doesn't look like it now as you're being led out up to exile, but God will make this right, make justice uh, prevail with it, and a new covenant uh, will come, which you'll see again and again in the Minor Prophets. I've, I've, I've so wanted to do a study of the Minor Prophets with the high schoolers just to see how that would go. Uh, but also, as you look through the Minor Prophets again and again, they're looking forward to the day where God makes things right, where God fulfills the covenant that he made to Abraham and the covenant that he made to Israel, and even, although we don't have the passage up there, the, the covenant that he made with David uh, as well, some of the major covenants in uh, the Old Testament. And so if you go to Luke chapter 22, 20, this is uh, during the Passover meal, and Jesus is speaking. It's, it's just one verse, if someone would read that for me. And if someone else would go to Hebrews as well, so. 
Luke 22, 20. I'll read it. Please. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. And it, yeah, it's just that one piece where Jesus is saying that this is a new covenant, again, New Testament, new covenant uh, with my people during the Passover meal, which is reflective of the old covenant and coming to, coming to fruition. Uh, Hebrews, I was listening to Hebrews in my car, um, have like a little word audio and I'll, I'll listen. And I was listening to Hebrews in my car um, last week. And it's interesting to listen, not just read. I'm, a, I'm an audio learner anyway, so when I hear things, I listen, and it kind of hits me different ways. And so I was in Hebrews, and I was listening to chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9. And if you go through Hebrews, thinking about the subject that we're talking about today, you've got chapter 7 of Hebrews, which is talking about how there is a better priest. talks about Jesus in the order of Melchizedek. We talked about uh, Tezek last time in terms of righteousness. So Jesus is a better priest. And then chapter 7, I'm sorry, chapter 8 talks about that there's a better covenant, and chapter 9 talks about there's a better tabernacle, there's a better, there's a tent. And so Hebrews is tying these covenantal language together for us to help us see how God is dealing with the covenants, the serious covenants that he made with the house uh, of Israel. So if someone would read Hebrews 8, 6 through 7. I'm sorry, yeah, 6 through 7. And then he goes into, and then he quotes Jeremiah 31 uh, in Hebrews. No, that's fine. It, it, he, he quotes the passage basically that we just read uh, in, terms of, in terms of Jeremiah. And so when I was thinking about covenantal language, and I'm thinking about this moment in Deuteronomy where we're creating this covenant, and then we're going to get into blessings and curses, and it's a little depressing to read chapter 28 if you read it this week. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And you're left with a feeling of the minor prophets. You're left with, now what? Where is... Where does this go from here? And the part that we get to see on the other side of Jesus and his resurrection is what he's being shown here, the fulfillment of that plan. That for Abraham, the, the blood path, the animals were torn in two, and God fulfilled that covenant by being torn in two on the cross. And the Mosaical covenant couldn't be fulfilled, and God fulfilled that covenant by, as it talks about in Hebrews chapter 9, a beautiful scene of Jesus walking into the throne room of God, the Holy of Holies that's not on earth, and sprinkling his own blood on the altar for the atonement of people. And he fulfills the Davidic covenant as well, in that now the house of Israel, David's line, is secured forever because Jesus is Lord. And so just tying all those things together for me is thinking about the importance of covenant with God and now that God has dealt, has done things right, justice has prevailed, and the covenant um, is here. And so, you know, thinking through, and of course when you also take a look, when you, to me when I think of covenant language, Romans and particularly Romans and Galatians start to make a lot more sense. Uh, because when Paul is talking about works, works of the law, most... Reformed theologians thought about works in reference to 16th century Catholicism. Paul is talking about works of the law, meaning works of the Old Covenant. And his whole point is, is that the, new, the Old Covenant has been fulfilled. There's a new covenant. So this covenant that we're reading about in Deuteronomy, you know, here, has been fulfilled through Jesus. And we don't have to go circumcise and feasts and days and the things that the Jewish uh, folks were wanting to have happen 
uh, or some of them were wanting to have happen. That's not necessary because it's been fulfilled. That's the whole point of Paul in Romans and in Galatians. And then, of course, he says, if you doubt God would do that, let's go a little further back, and his example is Abraham. God did it before with Abraham, and he's fulfilled this through it. And so thinking through this whole structure for me, as I start with chapter 26 and we get into 27 and 28, context is important, you know, to think through what these covenants mean and how uh, these things come together through the whole part of, you know, Scripture. For me, the validity of Scripture is not in the total accuracy of every event, but the fact that something like this over a period of time coming together, I believe it. Just believe it, because through the ages, God has pulled his people into covenant, and you see different writers from different ages bringing those things, uh, bringing those things together. So we have, uh, as we get moving forward into chapter 27, starting in verse 9 and through uh, 27, you'll see a couple of things. We get into the curses and uh, the blessings. Uh, if you read through it or if you read through it this week, you'll notice it seems like there's a couple of different things going on, and most commentators think that there was probably a couple of ceremonies that were kind of smashed together in this particular point. The oral tradition, whenever it was written down, was they probably put a couple of things uh, together. It's very consistent with second century millennia covenant language, so uh, whenever this may have been recorded onto a scroll, the, the ceremonies that they're describing are very consistent with what they see uh, in second century millennia BC covenant ceremonies. If that sentence made any sense whatsoever. <laughs> so it doesn't make sense to us, but that's okay because it made sense to them, right? Because this was what they would be. That's this is what they would be used to uh, working through. You know, as you read through it, um, you also notice there's twice as many curses as there are blessings. That's pretty consistent with. Uh, second century millennium BC covenantal language. There's usually more things that'll go wrong than go right if you break uh, this covenant. So again, to me, the truth part of it is it's very consistent uh, culturally with what they would have been expecting. And frankly, I was thinking about contract language today. I had a, an opportunity over the last couple of years. I was president for the International Dale Carnegie Franchisee Association. So we have about 250 franchises worldwide, and I was a president of our association and part of my role as president is we went into a contract negotiation with our franchisor and so I spent a year in contract land um, it had been about 15 years since we had done that and so we kind of get back into contract land which is not my forte at all uh, and had a lot of conversations with friends who were like we're trying to figure out you know how to make a better contract and it was interesting conversations after we went through that process and I believe got a better contract you know, sometimes people would say, well, the contract still sounds a little negative. And I was like, well, yeah, it's a contract. You know, contracts don't talk about what happens when things go right. You don't need a contract. You need a contract for what happens when things go wrong. And so even contracts today, that's why there's all that language in there about what happens when things go wrong. So to say that, ooh, there's a lot of curses in here, well, you know, we still kind of do the same thing today. Uh, if you read any contract or many contracts that are out there, it's just contractual it's just contractual language. So uh, we're going to jump into then chapter uh, 27, 15 through 26, and then 28, 1 through 6, where we get to jump into blessings and curses, or curses and blessings, depending on where we start. All right, chapter 27, 15. Who would read through that for us? Could you do it with a little bit of attitude when you get to the curses? That would, I'm just, I'm joking. Go ahead. I'm afraid I'll giggle. All right. Cursed is the man.
it's an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of the craftsman's hands, and sets up in secret, then all the people shall, shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who dishonors his father or his mother, then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary stone, then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who leads the blind astray on the road, then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who withholds justice from the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who sleeps with his father's wife, for he dishonors his father's bed, then all the people shall say, Amen. Blessed, cursed is the man who has sexual relations with any animal, then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who sleeps with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother, then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who sleeps with his mother-in-law, then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who kills his neighbor secretly, then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person, then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. Then all the people shall say, Amen. And I'll take up from, from chapter 28. Um, so, yeah, ch 26 is a catch-all. So if we didn't catch anything, then everything else is covered in, in clause 26 here. So, chapter 28, verse 1. If you'll only obey the Lord your God by diligently observing all the commandments I am commanding you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of the ground, and the fruit of your livestock, both the increase of your cattle and the issue of your flock. Blessed be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be when you come in, and blessed shall be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command a blessing upon you in your barns and all that you undertake. He will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he swore to you. And if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. Blessings and curses. So the language to me was odd. And part of it was, it's hard to think in that term, right? So as I started thinking through this lesson and started thinking about blessings and curses, I thought I could say that I've been blessed by God. I feel comfortable saying I'm blessed by God. And there's many reasons for me to say that. But again, I have to be mindful. I'm thinking individually, maybe not as a community. The challenge I have is curses is what does that have to and so then i started backing away from that concept and uh, i was a couple couple saturday it was two saturdays ago and uh, we woke up in the morning and everybody was kind of up and about and uh, you know that just to set this up you know the deuteronomy language is very much if you do this you get good things and if you don't do this you get bad things and we think well that's not we, do, we, we move against that at least within our circle i think we move against that so it's saturday morning and we discover that our cat, uh, one of our cats, has missed the litter box by about four rooms in a hallway. <laughs> and so, you know, the girls and I are sitting there. That was intentional. Yeah, <laughs> the girls and I were sitting there kind of having a stare down as to who's going to clean this up. And so Sarah walks in. She understands that there is this issue happening 
And we're like, nobody's budging about who's gonna clean this up. And finally, Sarah just gets frustrated. She goes up, she cleans it up. She comes down, she looks at us, and we were all in deep, deep trouble. And uh, realized at that point that it probably would have been better just to go ahead and clean that up, but we didn't. And so we, you know, we're not feeling great about this, and so we apologized, and, and we started what I affectionately called atonement cleaning. So the girls went up to clean upstairs. I went outside to take care of a forsythia bush that had gotten way out of control. And so up near, in fact, I probably see it on the picture, uh, what remains of it, but uh, there was a huge forsythia bush up by our driveway that uh, we kind of planted there to mark the house, but we also planted there to obscure the uh, electric pole, telephone pole, uh, there's a telephone box, uh, there's a little sewer pipe. There's a couple of things there that we just wanted to obscure. It gotten way out of control. So um, we had, uh, you know, it was attacking the cars when we were pulling out of the driveway. So we, so I went out there and started clipping it. And so I'm clipping it and I'm moving around uh, the forsythia bush underneath it, you know, clip, clip and pulling all this brush out. And at one moment I feel this just an odd sensation as, as I'm kind of squatted down all of a sudden, my left leg just goes. And what had happened was um, that sewer pipe that I mentioned, it was about an eight inch wide pipe and apparently the cap had gone missing. And so I was, I was sitting there like this on the ground and my left leg was hanging down in the sewer pipe. And it stopped about right here because that's, that's just where it couldn't go any longer. And so I, I'm sitting there, of course, adrenaline starts, you're like, I got I to gotta do something about this in a hurry, and, and I didn't know what, if anything was broken, if anything was what. So I started pushing up, and fortunately, my, my foot had hit, the, had hit the sewer in such force that all the raw sewage had kind of coated the inside of the pipe, so it was pretty slick. <laughs> you know, so I sit there, and, and somehow, to, I, 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 it's one of those adrenaline moments. I do not know how I got my leg out of that particular pipe, but when I did, I was literally standing there in my driveway, and I had one leg that was very white and one leg that was very brown. <laughs> and so I started walking back the driveway. Like, I, I don't even know. I start walking back, and it's like, you know, step, 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 because it's just soaked. And then I stopped about halfway down the driveway, and I just bust out laughing. I just bust out laughing. It was just the most ridiculous thing because my very thought was, I should have cleaned up the cat mess. <laughs> if I would have cleaned up the cat mess, I would not have had this happen to me. And so this is right in the middle of me thinking of, oh, bless you, what you do, you know, you have to move away from that. But I'm like, that's pretty hardwired into us. It's pretty hardwired that if we do good things, good so things should happen. Like no. <laughs> no, I walked to the garden hose and proceeded to spend a little bit of time spraying myself, uh, spraying myself down. Uh, Sarah uh, was a nurse, and so she, um, after giving me several looks that let me know exactly some of the thoughts that she was having, she got me cleaned up, and uh, fortunately nothing was broken. So, yeah, we got, the, we got, yeah, but the, the odd thing was, is I was sitting down later that evening. I mean, I had washed and everything, and then the cat came up to me and started smelling my leg, and I was like, what? It's all. <laughs> Like, it's all your fault that all this happened. Blessings and curses, right? And so, yeah, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, that's, that's pretty hardwired into our thinking. We do things well, good things happen. We do things not well, bad things happen. But again, that's individual, and Deuteronomy is communal. 
And also last week I was um, listening to uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Has anybody had a chance to read Hillbilly Elegy? Uh, it's about um, uh, Scotch-Irish migrations up into the Ohio area. It's, it's specifically a, a, about a story of a family, but it's also about a story of a people as well. It's tremendous. It's tremendous. It's rough language, but it's tremendous. And you sit there and you think, that's a people that things just have not been going well for. And you think, well, things have gone so well for, for my families. And my, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, my sister has spent the last 12 years down in Haiti, and we were uh, on a boat, we were on a little fishing boat uh, with some of the folks that work at their school, and I was talking to my niece, Anessa, she's at Harding now, and she was talking about Bible studies that they have uh, in their, with the high school students. And she said almost every Bible study the students would ask, is Haiti cursed? I heard that Haiti is cursed. And so you start to think of, wow, there's, how do you deal with that? Um, and yet we knew people in Haiti that their lives, they would say, is very blessed. Uh, we had the opportunity, Madame Jabert is a lady who works uh, there in their ministry, and she invited us to her house for, uh, we were just supposed to stop by and say hello to her and her children. And so my sister and I and my daughter, we went out uh, through some of the Warrens in, in, in Port-au-Pay and um, uh, not a lot of construction codes, if you will, you know, just kind of kind of working our way back into the 10 by 10 room that she shared with their family. They have a flat roof that they sleep on mostly, and they have a little area, courtyard, um, you know, that's like the size of this, uh, where they do some cooking and so forth. And so we were there just to say hello, and we were going to drop some, some presents off to. And it was one of the most uncomfortable moments in my life, because what my sister realized is that Madame Jabert had knew that we were coming, and she had gone down to the market had killed a chicken and was in process of making us dinner, which my, specific, my sister said I specifically told her not to do that. And so we walked into that 10 by 10 room that had a table with a, a lace cloth on it, and she put plates down, and then she put food in front of us to eat, to welcome us into her home. And what became really uncomfortable was I realized that she was not joining us to eat, nor was her husband, nor was her children, that they were gonna watch us eat. And because she wanted to share her blessings with us. And so I tried to play it off like I'm not that hungry. Like I would take just a little piece of chicken, a little plantain, a little bit of chickley, just a little bit on my plate. But I wasn't finished until Madame Jabert said I was finished. And so she would look at me, she would look at my size, and she goes, you're, you're still hungry. And so she would pick up, I was going to maybe leave something for her family. You know, you're still hungry. And I had to eat until I was absolutely stuffed. And she was satisfied that I was satisfied. And so again, you've got this land where people are wondering about curses, and yet there's still blessing. There's still blessing there. And so it, I think it's a hard subject to put our minds around. And a couple of ways that I have since I've been looking through this as we, as we get towards the time that we have today, a, a couple of things. One is in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, the metaphor is often in reference to fruit. If you read Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, there's fruit. If you read what Jesus says are blessings in Matthew chapter 5, what are we blessed for? It's for what we do with, with others. And then I was at the Living Water Project dinner on Thursday night, and um, Sandra Collins was speaking at the end, and I mentioned this to her this morning. 
that she was talking about how she's been blessed and how we can bless others. And it occurred to me that maybe what makes the New Covenant so special, one of the things that makes the New Covenant so special is using Rick Ashley's language from a couple weeks ago, we can live from our blessing to remove the curses that others may feel that they have, and that's part of our obligation, our calling, our vocation as God's people is to remove the curses by being a blessing because of the blessings that we've had for communities and for kingdoms and even for nations. Um, I'll finish with a quote by C.S. Lewis that Sarah called my attention to as we were having this discussion. Uh, It's from The Great Divorce, uh, and then we might have a few minutes for any comments that you would have in reference to what we've talked about today. So C.S. Lewis, uh, this is from the introduction to The Great Divorce. He said, Earth, I think, will not be found by anyone to be in the end a very distinct place. I think Earth, if chosen instead of heaven, will turn out to be ha- will turn out to have been all along only a region in hell. And Earth, if put second to heaven, to have been from the beginning a part of heaven itself. And to think about blessings and curses, how can we make Earth a little bit of heaven for those? that it's been a little bit of hell for uh, so far. When the first time I read this, I, I thought in terms of my, my legalistic default setting. If you were the person that does these things, then these things will happen to you. Mm-hmm. And, but as, as I read it again and, and think about it in terms of the C.S. Lewis quote and how you're talking about blessings and curses and how people in a place that many people would think of as being cursed can be blessed. It's 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 a different. If, if if you were the type of person that would have the attitude that would lead you here, it's going to lead to the curses and the destruction. Let me go back and look at the um, cursed is anyone who makes an idol. If you if you are the kind of person that is going, you know, I've heard what God said. I'm going to do it my own way. Yeah. That's going to take you. Yeah. to a place of curse, of, of being cursed. If you were somebody, same thing with the dishonoring the mothers and fathers. Listen to them, yeah. don't buy it, gonna go my own way. You know, if you were the person that sleeps with your, yeah. you know, I mean, because it's, it's, it's not even, at that point, it's not even a marriage thing. It's just, you see what they have, you want it for yourself. You know, sleeping with animals. You don't yeah. even want to put the work in to develop a relationship with the right, person. Right. That's going to take you to these dark places. And, and in chapter 28, it basically comes around to where God basically says, if that's what you want, then that's what you'll get. Yeah. If you want another God, then I'll show you what the other gods are like. If you want to behave in certain ways, I'll show you what people like that do and how they behave. And so it's, it's almost Romans 1 language. You know, chapter uh, 1, verse uh, 18 and on, where it talks about the wrath of God as being revealed towards man. It's basically saying that God is removing himself from the equation. And when God removes himself from the equation, many things that we see, ha- these things are going to happen yeah. uh, within that process. So how can we put God back in the equation yeah. uh, is, I think, what we can really affect in positive ways uh, as Christians. Jason? you also have to view the kind of the conditional covenants alongside the unconditional covenants, right? Because they kind of take, take different places a little bit. Mm-hmm. We're talking about your your marriage covenant with your wife, you know, I mean, with, with Sarah. That's an unconditional covenant. You have all these kind of conditional things that happen throughout, and you've got your unconditional covenant that kind of guides the whole thing. Yeah. I think as you think through a lot of the, 
the, the curses and blessings that you were just talking about, a lot of those seem to be almost to be like the, the conditional curses and blessings. You do this bad thing and it's just going to happen to yeah. you. We have to view everything in context of the big unconditional covenant that applies between God and his people as well. Yeah. Almost, you know, it always offers the return of his love. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I, it makes me think that we can think of what we see in Deuteronomy as a conditional arrangement, but what we see with the rest of Scripture is that it was never conditional to begin with. It was always unconditional on God's part. He was always going to go after His people wherever His people were. And even in the language we see that this is not that different. This is the same God who's following His people through the minor prophets into Jesus, into today. Um, yeah, I love, I love that thought that you... Uh, that you mentioned there, that, that we think of it as conditional, but it's really unconditional. God's love always has been and always will be uh, for us, and that allows us, as what Rick Ashley talked about, to live from a blessing, not for a blessing. Uh, so with that, I bet, we, yeah, we're, we're done. So, thanks. So I'm not a fan of your own.